Support for this episode comes from eBay. Whether it's a holy grail pair of sneakers, head-turning handbags, or one genuine wardrobe staple. If you're always on the hunt for that one wardrobe staple you just gotta have, eBay gets it. Nothing's more important than the real deal. When you shop on eBay, all you have to do is look out for that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be verified authentic through a detailed inspection. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Last night, there was a Democratic presidential debate, the first one of the year. Tonight, there's another one. So we here at Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network, thought we'd take the opportunity to talk about where the Democratic field actually stands on the big issues we cover. What the people who might replace President Trump as the most powerful person in the world actually think about, well, the world. <laughs> I'm Zach Beecham, here as always with Jen Williams and Alex Ward. Hi. Hello. Hey, so uh, we had a lot of fun this week before staying up until forever for the debate. We taped our live episode. Woo! Uh, you will get to hear it. We promise that'll be next week. But for now, we don't want to skip over the big topic of the week, which is the Democratic field and the debates. There are actually some really interesting splits emerging, some of which you saw on stage on Wednesday night, uh, in the way that the leading candidates and even some of the secondary ones are talking about the world. And right now we're going to give you a big picture of the split, and then in the second half of the episode, we're going to talk about how it played out on the stage last night. Now, Alex, you wrote a piece on where the democratic field stands right now, and in your piece, you center this concept called the liberal international order. Yeah, you guys remember those obscure uh, events called World War One and World War Two? Vaguely. Mm-mm. No, okay. No, so I'm lost. Uh, for, okay, so um, there were these like minor conflicts. Now, of course, they were these you know the biggest conflicts of the 20th century, most consequential moments in recent history. And at the end of it, after the U.S. won and and et cetera, et cetera, there was this discussion about okay, like how do we make sure a third world war doesn't happen again? And so. To make this very, very long story short, the U.S., along with European allies and others, came up with what became known as the liberal international order, which is, at its most basic level, the international rules and values and norms that govern the way the world works. So uh, over time, it's become basically free trade, liberal democracy, further integration of countries in terms of their politics and the way they operate. And that has been effectively for the past whatever since 1945 – the way the world has operated with the U.S. underwriting and securing that kind of order. And I know this is big think stuff, but that just remember that basically every Democratic and Republican administration 
despite all their differences on foreign policy, more or less have thought that that sort of grand vision of how the world should run was correct. Right. So in basic terms, things like we stay in NATO, we support the United Nations, we try to promote democracy where we can, we support the expansion of free trade and trade institutions like the WTO and the World Bank. We don't just randomly start wars without going through the UN, getting like its blessing in theory, right? We're we're shorthanding a lot of super important, complicated stuff here, but that's like the basic gist of it. Right. Now, the candidates have some disagreements about how the liberal international order is faring right now. And that it seems like that's the sort of crux of the debate as it's been playing out. Right, Jen? Yeah. So, you know, Alex, you wrote this in your piece, uh, and I think explained it really well. But the candidates so far seem to be kind of breaking down along two lines and falling into these two broad buckets. On one hand, you have like a group of people who basically see this liberal international order as like the gold standard, as something that should be valued, should be protected. Um, In some cases, they see it as something that is somewhat under threat under the Trump administration, something that should be restored, right? But they still see this as like the foundational principle that should govern the world and America's place in it, right? They see America as this force for good and stability and order in the world. Now, in the other bucket, you have people who want to change the liberal international order pretty significantly, right? Essentially, they see this order, especially in economic terms, as having contributed to a lot of very bad things, in particular economic inequality, um, not just in the U.S., but around the world. So, you know, the idea of globalization, global trade, all kinds of things like that. In general, they see that having led to the rise of oligarchs, the kind of concentration of wealth Uh, among, you know, a small group of people, the erosion of the global middle class, things like that. And so they essentially want to take that liberal international order and it's kind of a spectrum. So some want to just kind of tweak it and, you know, change certain parts of it. Some kind of are more radical and want to sort of kind of burn the whole thing down. I don't don't think that's accurate. I don't, what can, no, I don't think any candidate, and this is sort of my, a little bit of my quibble with with the framing, right, is Nobody is saying we should withdraw from the UN. Nobody is saying we should withdraw from NATO. No one's even saying we should withdraw from the WTO. Everyone agrees that the basic principles of the liberal international order should stay in place. The question is how we revise and think about the principles that undergird it. What is the place for trade? How do we, what should free trade look like and how restricted should it be? How should the U.S. respond to the fact that people have lost their jobs? These are significant adjustments to the way the U.S. approaches maintaining the order. And that, I think, is what separates some of the candidates, some of the ones who, let's say the more progressive or left-wing ones, from some of the more centrist ones. Yeah, and by the way, I largely agree with that. The one thing that I would say is the two main pillars, we can quibble on that too, but the two main pillars of the of the liberal national order are one, liberal democracy, and two, free trade. And if you are willing to say that the free trade part needs to be radically changed, which we do see some candidates saying, then I think you're kind of going at one of the two main pillars. All right, before we continue to argue about this, which we will and we are very excited to do, uh, we need to talk about the specific candidates. I think that'll make the uh, disagreements and the between both the candidates and the hosts on the show a little bit sharper. So Biden is the first one. He's the front runner, right? He's not so much had a big foreign policy speech as had an extensive foreign policy record throughout his years in public service. And he has laid out the quintessential pro-status quo position. It's how he feels about American politics domestically and how he feels pretty much about American politics and the U.S. role in the world internationally. He believes that the purpose of the United States should be maintaining the post-World War II order. Its foreign policy should be basically keeping things the same. So here's a simple summary of the Biden view from a speech that he gave at the World Economic Forum in 2017. 
our careful, and I mean careful attention, to building and sustaining the liberal international world order with the United States and Europe at its core was the bedrock of the success the world enjoyed in the second half of the 20th century. And he continues along those lines. Strengthening these values, values that served our community of nations so well for so long, is paramount to retaining the position of leadership the Western nations enjoy and preserving the progress we've made together, and I would argue the health of the remainder of the world. So I think in just very general terms, what he's saying is what we've been doing for decades, that is good. It's lifted millions of people out of poverty. It has helped the United States secure its preeminent place in the world. And it's helped us come closer to our democratic allies and to fend off adversaries. I mean, that's, again, very broad think, but that's kind of where, where he's at. And if he were to be president, he would, I guess, continue the status quo of American foreign policy more or less. Right. So also in this bucket is South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He's not quite as, like, raw, raw liberal international order, but a lot of the things that he says uh, really do seem to put him in this bucket. He talks a lot about, you know, America basically being, you know, a force for good in the world and that the world needs America for stability. My central purpose is to argue that the world today needs America more than ever, but only if America can be at her best. So that was at his big foreign policy speech that he gave earlier this month. And over and over in that speech, he does mention, like, yes, I can't promise that we can ever go back now to the liberal international order that was before Trump and before a lot of things have changed in the world. But he says over and over again, right, that the world needs America. We need to stand up and be this force for good in the world. So it seems— it's more like he wants to restore that, as I was saying earlier, how some candidates want to just kind of bring it back and they see it as having been damaged under the Trump administration. But it's still a very fundamental kind of centrist, traditional view of America's role in the world as this like guarantor of global stability. So those two candidates of the top five in the polling, roughly, are the ones that are most strongly pro-status quo, or at least pre-Trump status quo when it comes to U.S. foreign policy. The two leaders in the field who have sort of different views are, unsurprisingly, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, the most left-wing people in the field. Now, I wouldn't say that they want to tear down everything that the U.S. accomplished since World War II. They don't want to leave the United Nations, NATO, etc. But they do have some very, very serious critiques of the way that the American leadership has generally, in a bipartisan fashion, conducted foreign policy during that period of time. So one of the first ones is, and biggest ones, honestly, is the way that they've done trade. Here's Senator Warren on free trade. For decades, leaders of both parties preached the gospel that free trade was a rising tide that would lift all boats. Uh, it's great rhetoric, except that the trade deals that they negotiated mainly lifted the yachts. Well, that yachts line, I think, is pretty good. It's right? a great yeah, line. It's, a really, good, it's a really good line. I don't actually agree with her position on trade, but I really, uh, that gets me. But so there's a second sort of connected critique going on from Warren and Sanders, which is that uh, it's not just trade that has allowed in the classical sense that has created global inequality and hurt the poor. It's also, you know, the deregulation of capital flows, the ability of people to 
spread money around, hide it in different places, do whatever they want. The theory is that this has led to the creation of a global oligarchic class, as Sanders argues at a Green Foundation lecture. Foreign policy must take into account the outrageous income and wealth inequality that exists globally and in our own country. This planet will not be secure or peaceful when so few have so much and so many have so little. Just to be clear, when I was talking about wanting to burn it all down, I don't actually think, I I largely agree with you, Zach, I don't think they want to tear down the entire system. Alex, as you mentioned earlier, the economic piece of this, the idea that free trade will, like, you know, Elizabeth Warren said in the first part, will lift all boats, right? This idea of globalization. If you remember back in, you know, in particular in the 90s, this was like the new world order, right? Globalization, liberalization of trade, um, bringing down trade barriers was like the future of how the world was going to, to operate. And the idea that you would hear, you know, Democrats who were very much pro-free trade and pro-globalization basically saying that this was the worst idea ever and that this has done, you know, very serious damage to the global economy, to society, to America in particular. I think that's a very stunning development um, in terms of a reversal we've seen. And I also think it's really fascinating, too. You know, we think of, of Donald Trump as someone who wanted to come in and, you know, shake things up a lot. And I think when you listen in particular to that Elizabeth Warren clip, right, when she's talking about, she actually goes on to say that these trade deals threw millions of working Americans overboard, right? It's very much about how this kind of global international free trade system is really, really bad for American workers. And it sounds a little bit like the more protectionist trade policies we hear from Donald Trump, right? And I think that's just a fascinating approach and attack at this kind of pillar of global stability that has underwritten the liberal international order. Yeah, you know, I I think it's interesting. Their policy positions, when you look at them, are are a fair bit more nuanced than you might imagine seeing from, say, President Trump. Um, I got in a big fight with the Sanders people in the last time around in 2016 about his trade positions. Uh, But they are very hostile to the idea that they want to impose tariffs of the kind that Trump does. It's not so much about putting in new barriers to trade and foreign competition as it is about trying to deal with the consequences of past agreements and make future ones more fair. So that would mean things like uh, including environmental protection so people in third world countries aren't exploited and so uh, they can't make wages so low so jobs get offshore really easily and really quickly. It's not trade barriers in the tariff simple sense. It's a little bit more subtle, but I agree. It's, it's a very, very sharp break with what had been advocated in the past. And we should also mention, although this entire section has f- followed along trade and economics, that there's a massive critique coming, especially from the Sanders war and left, about how much the U.S. has spent on wars, that we've been at war too long, they want to end the endless wars is a common refrain, and that the U.S. should, uh, in a a sense, dramatically reduce the defense budget. To be fair, across the democratic field, you're hearing a lot of them be very skeptical of foreign wars, be skeptical of of defense spending. Um, Really, there's only one that I've talked to, John Delaney, who some of you just met for the first time uh, last night, who has said uh, like he would keep spending where it is, but he's in a very small minority. So that's not as big a break. That said, there were discussions of military affairs and how to, like, deal with it as president of the United States in last night's debate, um, especially as it relates to, like, authorizing force or even the war in Afghanistan. And so that was—that is one of the major flashpoints also among Democrats, and and I think that's what we should discuss next. Uh, And uh, that's—I'm glad you brought that up, Alex, because we're going to talk about that after the break. 
Support for this episode comes from eBay. Whether it's a holy grail pair of sneakers, head-turning handbags, or one genuine wardrobe staple. If you're always on the hunt for that one wardrobe staple you just gotta have, eBay gets it. Nothing's more important than the real deal. When you shop on eBay, all you have to do is look out for that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be verified authentic through a detailed inspection. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. All right, welcome back. We've been talking about this split in the democratic field on foreign policy, and uh, we thought it played out in a really clear and neat fashion in Wednesday night's debate. In a, a little spat between two of the minor candidates, Tim Ryan and Tulsi Gabbard, both representatives. So Rachel Maddow, one of the anchors, asks about Afghanistan and leaving, and Ryan says the following. The lesson that I've learned over the years is that you have to stay engaged in these situations. Nobody likes it. It's long. It's tedious. I think this is a very clear expression of that first view that we talked about, the traditional view of, like, the U.S. as this underwriter of order, stability. Part of that is very much expressed through military force, right? We focused a lot on economics in the first part of the show, but I think, you know, Alex, you were mentioning the military thing. I think that's actually a very important split between these two camps. The first camp, of which Tim Ryan seems to be a member, essentially see U.S. military force as a as a net positive in the world, right? As something that, you know, can contribute to global stability, as something that should continue to be an active presence in the world, pushing democracy, fighting terrorism, things like that. There's a lot of continuity here in what Tim Ryan is saying in terms of, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about ending forever wars, but you have this guy who's literally asked, what about Afghanistan and would you get U.S. troops out? And he's like, no, I think we need to stay engaged. It's long and it's tedious, but uh, sorry, like we need to be there. And that's a very kind of traditional centrist U.S. military force is good and we should, you know, run the world, essentially. In contrast to this view that you need to be perpetually engaged in chaotic countries in order to prevent worse consequences down the line, you have Representative Tulsi Gabbard's critique. Is Engagement that what you will tell the parents of those two soldiers who were just killed in Afghanistan? Well, we just have to be engaged. As a soldier, I will tell you, that answer is unacceptable. We have to bring our troops home. Those two soldiers that Gabbard mentioned, by the way, um, were just their names were just released by the Pentagon. It was Master Sergeant Michael B. Riley and Sergeant James G. Johnston. Uh, RIP and thank you for your service. Um, so the, the critique there from Gabbard is something that she's been saying for quite some time, but it is a feeling among the Democratic camp and even some in Trump's base that the U.S. has just been at war for way too long. We've spent too much money. We've spent too much blood. Uh, it's time to end the endless wars, bring our troops home, start investing more in America. And and by the way, Ryan and, and Gabbard are probably along the same lines when it comes to economics, but they seem to differ very clearly on this military 
issue and defense issue. And so that is like where, where I think the main split you're seeing among Democrats is on economics. I think you're definitely starting to see it here on war and peace as well. And we saw another example of this when former Congressman Beto O'Rourke was asked, basically, when would the U.S. use military force? Would it go in to uh, stop a genocide? Would it go into, you know, other mass atrocities? And he bit word saladed. Uh, but Beto it, had a rough night. Yeah, he had a really rough night. Uh, but it, it kind of amounted to, yes, we should, along in, in consultation with partners and allies. And, and it, was, it was a bit muddied. And then you had uh, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio come in and basically say, like, no military action should be used ever unless we had authorization from Congress. And he evoked a, a powerful memory of how his father fought in Vietnam and, 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 and you know, couldn't really handle with the stresses of it when he came home. And that's a very far critique from the left. And, and we could have a whole debate about the war uh, law, war laws and how a president's authority on that. But that's that's the general split is like split one on military affairs is spending versus commitment in the world. And the other is just sort of this um, important discussion of like who can really launch wars as the president or just do they need congressional authorization? What I think is fascinating is that you know, it's important to remember that Tulsi Gabbard, she mentioned being a soldier in that clip we heard earlier. She's an Iraq war veteran. So she actually has, like, direct experience of serving in these wars. Um, and I think it's fascinating that her, you know, takeaway from her years of service is we need to bring our troops home, right? This is this is ridiculous. We shouldn't be spending all this money um, and, you know, these lives overseas. We should be, you know, reinvesting that back home. And I think, It'll be interesting for me, at least, I'll be watching to see, um, you know, Pete Buttigieg will be on the debate stage tonight. He also has served in the U.S. military and is a veteran. And he, again, is in that kind of other bucket of, you know, U.S. military force in general is a good thing uh, around the world. And so I, I'm, for one, I'm going to be watching to see how he responds to questions like this, to see this kind of dichotomy really play out in real time. Yeah. I mean, one one addendum to what Jen said, Gabbard is kind of a fake non-interventionist. I have an article up on this on the site that you should read and we'll link in the show notes. But look, this is a big big, real debate. And one fake or real non-interventionist aside, it's very clear that there are major, major splits emerging in the Democratic Party on America's place in the world, both economically and militarily. And we're going to be watching for that tonight, as Jen said. I want to thank our producer, Bird Pinkerton, and encourage you to rate and subscribe and review to the show because we're done for the day. Goodbye. Support for this episode has come from eBay. You know real when you feel it. And with eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you don't have to wonder. You know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be checked by experts and verified authentic. Maybe it's a designer handbag, sneakers that pop, jewelry that shines as bright as you do. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.